0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you could check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. You know what? I, I know we're in crazy times. We're in crazy times right now, and, uh, I don't know about you, but I have had several people ask me if we are in the end of the world. If this is the end of the world, or uh, if if this is the end times. I don't know. Have you had that? Uh, Anybody ask you that before? Maybe you're asking. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, by the looks of your shirt, it is the end of the world. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, let me tell you, I've had questions like that quite a bit. And the reason people are asking that is because... They are, they are feeling the pressure, they are feeling the stress, they are feeling the weight of uh, everything that's going on, and they're looking for hope, they're looking for answers, they're asking, is this it? Do I need to do something? Is this going to be the end for me? And the question we should be asking ourselves is, what do we tell them? What do we tell them? So we're going to be jumping, fortunately, into Mark chapter 13. And in this chapter... It's probably the most apocalyptic chapter in Mark's gospel. So Mark, the purpose of his gospel is to reveal to us that Jesus is the Son of God. He mentions it in the very opening uh, sentence and verse of the book. But then the rest of the book, he's been documenting and recording all of Jesus' words and his actions, hoping that we will see that Jesus is the Son of God. And now, in chapter 13, we see this dialogue between Jesus and his inner circle, his four four disciples. Peter, James, and John. Now, Andrew, who started in the inner circle, is now back in the inner circle as, uh, as they go and they take Jesus aside. Jesus had just finished saying... Uh, with the widow's offering last week that in verses 1 and 2 the temple will be destroyed and they go to Jesus and they want to ask him when these things will happen. When will the end come and what will it look like is their question to him. So we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus this morning and see what he has to say about his return because Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen? Jesus is coming back and he's going to be Uh, We're going to be looking at what the Bible references as the great day of the Lord. But before we do that, here's a couple things that I need us to understand about this uh, apocalyptic chapter. First, we need to define what apocalypse is. Probably most of you, if you're around my age, you're thinking about a movie we're with uh, uh, the end of the world coming in a big meteor, and we send people up there into space to fight it, and they ride the meteor, and they do weird stuff. That's not the apocalypse, okay? The apocalypse, the word apocalypse, in Greek means an unveiling, a, or a revealing of what is to come. And in this chapter, there's going uh, to be some unveiling that occurs, that it takes place in Mark chapter 13. The other thing that I want you to know... To give us some context about Jesus' words, are that during this time that Jesus is ministering, there are a lot of writings that refer to apocalyptic things. They call them the second temple writings, because it's the second temple, the temple that Herod built. And uh, during that time, there was a lot of writing circulating about an apocalypse or an apocalyptic Type literature that was circulating around. And the reason for that is because the people of God knew they were chosen by God and, and, and appointed by God to be in a place of uh, authority, a place that would uh, usher in his kingdom. But they have come to the realization that they do not have the ability to make it happen in their own power. They, they have continued to be oppressed. They continue to mess things up. They continue to sin. They continue to fall into judgment. And so they understand for this to happen, for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done through us, the Jewish people. We have to understand that Jesus, that God, sorry, that God has to enter in. For the Jewish people, obviously, at that point, Jesus was not God for most of them. So they, they were looking for God to break in, looking for God to, to create an upheaval. And it was going to be called the great day of the Lord. You see that in Old Testament writings. And you see it in a lot of the literature and the writings that were circulating around Jesus' time. So this is the framework that when Jesus begins to talk about in Mark chapter 13 about what will happen, the disciples are hearing this literature and these, these letters and writings circulating all around them. They're having apocalyptic thoughts about what will happen when God shows up and breaks in. And they begin to ask Jesus these questions. They, they, they are wanting to say, look, the world is so jacked up that we can't solve these problems on our own. We need God to break in to set things right again. And this unveiling day where God will defeat the evil in the world, turn the world upside down, and he'll establish his kingdom. So as we jump in, keep that in mind. A lot of these writings that we're circulating talk a lot about the sun of man. They took it from Daniel, primarily Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel talks about the Son of Man coming. The difference between the Son of Man and Daniel, the Son of Man in the, in the Second Temple writings that we see quite a bit, uh, are that the Son of Man in the Second Temple writings were, was there to come and bring judgment against the world and the enemies of God. And in the Daniel, Son of Man uh, prophecy, The Son of Man was coming to rescue the people. So there was some contrast. So some of the people had Daniel in their minds and thinking, when is the Son of Man going to come who is also the Son of God that is going to bring a rescue to us? And others are thinking, when is he going to come and judge these Romans? When is he going to come in and set his kingdom up? So all of that is happening in the background when Jesus begins to talk in Mark chapter 13. So Mark is already established for his readers including us, that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's been revealing that he's also the Son of Man that would help us connect him to Daniel as well. So as we begin to jump in into this this chapter, there are sections that I'm going to divide out that will help us understand what Jesus is saying and help us to draw out not only how it applies to us, but what we need to do about it. How does what Jesus is saying here in chapter 13 apply to us, and what do we need to do about it? So here are some questions that I want us, that's going to help us frame what what we see in this chapter. And these questions are this, is 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 the stuff that we're reading information about what God is going to do? Is it... Is it information for the early church or is it instructions for the early church, specifically talking about the disciples and the apostles that are in the early first century church? Or is it instructions for us as followers of Jesus today uh, or people that are awaiting the second coming of Jesus? Is it an instruction for us so we need to look at, these are the three sections we're going to be looking at. Is it, is it something God's going to do? Is it instruction or information about the early church and what they should be doing? Or is it information and instructions for us as we await the second coming of Jesus? Now, like I said last week already, we covered Jesus' prediction of the temple in Jerusalem being destroyed. And as he says that in verses 1 and 2, the four disciples come and they take him aside to a private place. And in verse 3, we begin to read this. As they sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Here's here's one point that I want to make here very clearly. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of apocalyptic literature uh, that was going around during that time. And I can't help but think that it shaped how the disciples received what Jesus had just said to them. So for them, they're thinking, if the temple is destroyed, and what we hold dear, and what is the center of our lives and our belief system, if it's destroyed, then it must be the end of the world, right? They have this mindset that Jesus said the temple will be destroyed, and they're thinking this is the end, okay? So because of all the stuff that's circulating around them, and the chaos around them, and the, and the and they're talking to Jesus, to the Son of God. They're thinking, it's, this is going to happen. When is it going to happen? And what is it going to look like? We know from Mark's gospel that the disciples often got things wrong. And we can probably deduce that they're getting this wrong as well. But like the disciples, uh, for us, when we see destruction of something that we hold dear to us, how often do we think it's also the end of the world? How often do when, when, when something is near and dear to us and is being destroyed, we think this is the end. So we can relate to the disciples, right? Amen. Can you relate to the disciples? Something that you hold near and dear, being destroyed, you think all is lost. This is the end of the world. So we are in that place with the disciples in this moment as well. So verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come In my name, saying, I am he, I am. That's a a phrase that Jesus uses. He talks about himself, I am. And when God says it, when he reveals himself to Moses, I am who I am, the great I am. Jesus is saying, they're going to say they're God. And he says, and they will lead many astray. Why will they lead many astray? Because when catastrophe happens, when there are calamities that befall us, it is the human condition to look for a leader or a savior or a redeemer of some sort And during those times of calamity and chaos, Jesus is saying there will be some who will rise up and say, I am the one you're looking for, but don't listen to them. Don't be led astray by them. It happens. And it was happening in that time, and it happens still, where people will rise up to think that, and you'll put your hope and trust in them. It happens a lot with politicians. Oh, if this guy, if we can get this guy in the office, everything is going to be okay. If we can just get this guy back in the office, everything's going to be okay. How often how often do we put our hope and trust in someone else than in Jesus alone? Jesus is saying, when things get crazy, you're going to look for a Savior. Be sure you're looking for the right one. Be sure you're looking for the great I am and not someone who says I am he. So Jesus is trying to warn. In verse 7, he says this, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. So, he's saying, you're going you're to see crazy stuff, you're going to hear crazy stuff, but it doesn't mean it's the end yet. He says this, this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. What Jesus is saying here is that there's going to be a lot of horrible things that going to happen to you and around you. Specifically speaking to the early Christians and the early church leaders. But those things do not mean it's the end of the world. We know that after Jesus spoke these things, there were earthquakes. There was a, a giant volcano that destroyed an entire island. Pompeo or Pompeo. I don't know the name of the island. Anybody know? What's the name of the island? No? I'm not getting any help on it. There's an island. It starts with a P. It gets destroyed. Earthquake. Volcano erupts. If you know the answer, type it in now, because it it slipped my mind. Right, So we know that there's earthquakes that happen, major ones, and they're like, they could see that and think, this is the end. Jesus says, nope, not the end, just the beginning. Right, There are huge famines that actually strike Rome. Later on, within the first century, they could be thinking, this is the end. And he said, nope, just the beginning. These are just the beginning. You're going to see a lot of crazy stuff. It's just the beginning. Verse 9 says this, but be on your guard. You're going to see crazy stuff. It's just the beginning, but be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and they will beat you. You will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. This sounds a lot to me like this is an instruction or information for the first century church, for the first century leaders. This is probably primarily just for them, because I don't think that you and I, in the end times, will be taken and beaten in synagogues or stand before kings. So this is something that we can say, okay, Jesus is talking to them primarily about what's going to happen to them in the near future, okay? But the word that we can take from that is to be on guard. When all of this chaos is happening around us and the world is going crazy, he says, be on guard. Things could get worse before they get better. Verse 10 says this, And the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. There's something that I want to note here. The disciples asked Jesus, When will these things happen? And what are the signs? And notice that Jesus gives them the signs, but not the times. I want you to remember that as we continue to move through the rest of this chapter. That Jesus saying, I want you to know what it's going to look like, but I'm not going to give you specifics. Jesus kept it vague. The goal uh, of what Jesus was sharing wasn't so that they could figure it out. So that they could have an exact timeline of this is what it's going to be. Because where is the dependency on God if you have all the dates and the times already? He's saying, I'm not going to give you dates and times. I'm going to give you some signs, but I'm not going to give you the times. Because I want you to be what? On guard, and he says, alert. So if you know when something's going to happen, you slack until it happens. How do I know this? I'm speaking from experience, and I'll tell you in a minute. He says, at the same time, there are going to be some things that, uh, that we are He's saying. There are going to be some things in the future, even for us today, that we need to be aware of. And there are some things in the disciples' future, but now our past, that we know when Jesus prophesied them that it did come to pass. We know that when Jesus said the temple is going to be destroyed, it happened. Forty years, less than 40 years, after Jesus said those words that the temple would be destroyed, the temple was destroyed. In 70 A.D. by the Roman emperor Titus. We know that there were some wars. A major one is when Rome came. Because the Jewish people continued to revolt and revolt and rebel against Rome. So they came to squash the rebellion. So they laid the city of Jerusalem on siege. They laid siege against it. Locked it in. Starved the people to death. Inside the city. And tore down the temple. He knows that there was going to be wars. And, and for the early church, early Christians, they would see this and think, this has to be the end. He says, not the end. I'm just giving you a heads up. We know that these things did happen. And we'll read about more of that in a minute. We know that the disciples of Jesus were handed over to governors. They were beaten. They were handed over to kings to testify about who Jesus is. They were put on trial for their faith. All of these things happened already. In this, in this chapter that Jesus says were going to happen to the early church, they have, we know, have already happened. Verse 12 says this, The brother, brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the question that I have for us this morning is, why is Jesus speaking these things to his disciples? First, that they would be aware of what is ahead of them and that they would take heart because Jesus knew it was going to happen and saying, look, it's going to happen, but I'll be with you. It's going to happen, but you you have to endure to the end to be saved. I want to encourage you. You're going to go through some hard things and it's going to feel like life is over and the world is ending, but stay with me and I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. But stay with me, and if you'll endure through the hardship, through the chaos, I'll be with you, and you'll be saved. So he tells them this. He wants them to know, even through the hardships of life, don't give up. It might feel like the end, but it's not the end. You can take heart right now for somebody who who maybe you're feeling like it's the end, the chaos, the confusion, all of this stuff in our world. You might be thinking, this is the end. And Jesus is saying, stick with me, endure, hold on, and if you'll be saved, stay with me. Those who endure the end will be saved. And it appears that what Jesus has said up to this point has been instructions for the early church, the early disciples, for what they were about to face. Now, this next section that we're about to read in verse 14, it can be confusing. And there's some, there's uh, scholars disagree on this portion of, of Mark chapter 14, whether it's something that has already happened or if it's something that will happen in the future. And so we're going to read this portion of it. And Jesus uses this phrase. The phrase that we're going to read about is the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causes desolation. And he is quoting it directly from a prophecy found in the book of Daniel. Basically, it means this. Something or someone is going to desecrate or defile the temple of God and the sacrifices of God. And this something is going to rise up. And when it does, beware of it and flee. Right? So we see this. Daniel's prophecy, when he prophesied of it, we know that it happened, it took place in 168 B.C. when a Greek king came in. He tried to Hellenize the Jewish people and he raised up a statue of Zeus and he stopped all the daily sacrifices to Yahweh God and said, you worship Zeus now. And this was the abomination that causes desolation in the temple. It happened. He prophesied it hundreds and hundreds of years before that point and then it happened as a warning to the Jewish people. And then we see the revolt, the Maccabean revolt later on, as they revolt against this and reestablish, creating space for Jesus to come. Now, Jesus is using this phrase again to highlight something very similar that will happen in the temple Verse 14 says this, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then Mark actually steps out from addressing, uh, just telling a story to address the reader. He says this, Let the reader understand, you and I are also readers of Mark's gospel. So he's now addressing us. He's addressing the initial audience that he's writing to, and we get to be a part of that as well because that's how God's word works. It It goes beyond time and space. It's speaking to us directly. He says, Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down. The, the, oftentimes to get on the roof, they would do a lot of uh, sitting on the roof. They had shade up there. They would lounge up there. And they had ladders that would be on the outside of the house to get up. They didn't have stairs inside, or in the, inside the homes like we do today. So he says, don't go down when this starts happening. Don't enter the house, don't take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back for his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant or those who are nursing infants in those days. Why? Because he's about to tell them, you got to flee, you got to run, you got to get out. And nobody wants to be running while they're also trying to nurse or pregnant. Right so that's a, that's a that's a big thing. Then he also says, "Pray that it will not happen in winter. Who wants to run in snow? Nobody. It's going to be cold, it's going to be crazy. you can't turn around and get your cloak, you got no jacket, you're trying to flee." He said, "Don't pray pray that it doesn't happen in winter." These are all very practical things he's saying. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not had been from the beginning of the creation of yeah, of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now here are the things that the scholars disagree with. Some scholars say Jesus is talking about what will happen in 70 A.D., When Rome comes and lays siege against Jerusalem, when they come to destroy the the temple and to squash the rebellion, Jesus is warning the early church: Hey, when this heart, when you begin to see this abomination and desolation set up in the temple, get out! It's about to get crazy. And we know from history that it did get crazy. We know that uh, that the early church took this word. Uh, from Jesus as a warning directly for them. And they actually did flee when this war uh, with the Jewish people in Rome began to take place. The, the Christians fled Jerusalem. Sadly, a lot of the Jews fled to Jerusalem. They fled and went into the safety in the walls of Jerusalem and ran to the temple and thought, God will protect us again because we have the temple. And sadly, over a million people either starved or died at the hand of Roman swords and if they had listened to Jesus when he said, when these things happen, flee and get out, they would have been saved. But a lot of them died, tragically, sadly. So we know that, that Jesus, uh, that the early church did receive this warning from Jesus and did flee in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. So that could be connected. And some scholars say that's the only connection and there is nothing else like it that's going to happen later on. So for those of you who think that Jesus is speaking of something that has come and his disciples in his disciples' lifetime, then this text probably isn't very concerning for you. You might think, hey, yeah, that happened already. No big deal. And we just move on. Okay? And so you could be thinking, all right, Jesus was just giving his instructions to his disciples, and we can glean from that. We can understand that when chaos happens or when things begin to look crazy, we can receive what Jesus was telling his disciples. Jesus is t- giving his disciples... That's saying, hey, when people pretend to be me, don't believe them. When wars and rumors of wars occur, don't be afraid. When, when, they have to, when you have to answer before kings and councils, know that God is with you and he'll give you words to speak. When, when you're hated and you're beaten, don't worry, you'll be saved. And those things are all good things that we can receive, even if this is a story from the past that will not go into the future. But for those of us, who think that Jesus is speaking of something still yet to come, then we are given some instructions, and the main instruction that we have is to not be afraid. Not be afraid. So from Mark's gospel, we can see this and we can see where it fits in the past. But if we look at the entirety of Scripture, which is always a good thing when we're talking about things that are to come, we can know that even in Paul, in Paul's writing in Second Thessalonians, he talks about the man of lawlessness who will stand in the temple and he will defile it. And, and there is something yet still to come that Jesus was, was also addressing. And so we can look at the entirety of Scripture and of revelations and we can see that there is something beyond just that moment. But Jesus gives these instructions to us, his people, his church today, and he gives this instruction. Even when all this chaos begins to happen, don't be afraid. So many people have been asking, is this the end of time? Is this the end? Because there's some fear involved. But Jesus speaks to this. He's saying, look, even if you are in the end of times, don't be afraid because you are Belong to me. Jesus says, "Don't fear the end. Don't fear the end." Verse seven, he says this, "Don't be alarmed. Be alert. Recognize the signs and act accordingly, and we'll talk about what that looks like. Act accordingly, what the signs look like to you. Verse 11 says this, "Don't be anxious. How many people get anxious about when chaos happens and the world gets crazy? Jesus is saying, "Hey, for you, the believers, don't be anxious." And when Jesus says something, receive it. If you begin to feel anxious, rebuke that thing. Say, hey, I belong to Jesus. He told me not to be anxious. I submit to my God. I submit to Jesus. He says, don't be anxious. I'm I'm not going to be anxious. He says, bad things will happen, but you have an assignment from God. What is your assignment? Your priority, even in the last days, is to tell people about Jesus. Share Jesus in the middle of the chaos and the middle of destruction because there is hope found only in Jesus. And our great hope, the blessed hope, is Jesus' return for his church. So why not more? Should we not be more excited that when we begin to see things like this, not to be scared, but to be excited? Say, Jesus, you're coming soon. Jesus, comes soon. Jesus, comes soon. Said says, verse 24, the coming of the Son of Man. But in those days, after that tribulation, after those hard times, 70 AD, if Jesus talked about that moment, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then He will send out His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the earth. Of heaven, Jesus is appearing. This is what he's talking about. When these things begin to happen, recognize that I'm on my way, that I'm coming soon. Jesus' second coming. Notice, though, he says here that the, the sun is being darkened and the moon is not going to give its light and the stars will be falling. But this is not an omen of something bad. This is not even, and some people will try to speculate, well, how will the sun not give its light and the moon and the stars will look like, it must be atomic war, there must be mushroom clouds, it must be something crazy and a big catastrophe of some sort. Well, we don't have to go there. Because we understand Jesus is actually quoting from Isaiah. When when, when Isaiah says, when God comes and establishes his kingdom, you won't need sun anymore and you won't need light from the moon. You won't need stars in the heaven because God will be your light and he will dwell with his people. And Jesus is saying, when I come, I'll be your light. You won't need a light from the sky anymore because the Son of God will be the one who is dwelling with you. So Jesus is not trying to give an omen of bad things that will happen before he gets here. He's trying to say, when I come, it's going to be for good, and it's going to be for your good. Jesus is trying to let him know. He's quoting Isaiah here. He states that in those days there will no longer be need for sun or moon or stars, for light will come from God himself. It's even echoing Revelation chapter 22 says that, that when the, the moon and the stars will fade away because the, the, the light... Uh, For the people will come from the house of God. So Jesus will come for his church and all of us who love him and obey his commands, who seek his face. The Bible says that we'll be caught up with him in the air. Skipping down to verse 32, it says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. be alert, be awake. This is the purpose of why he's giving these insights and these predictions and foretelling what will happen. Not so that we can s- sit around smugly and say, I know what's going to happen. Look at these idiots. They don't know. I know. No, he's saying, stay awake. I'm telling you because I want you to be awake because you don't know when the master's going to show up. And you're going to be caught asleep when he's called you to do something to finish your work. How do I? I have personal experience with this, okay? Because my dad, when we were growing up, every summer we had to work bees with him when we were out of school, back when kids used to go to school. And we would go out of summer, we would be working, and sometimes I was 11, 12, 13, sometimes he'd say, Look, I got to go work some bees in this location, I got to go to the coast, I got to do whatever. I want you to stay at the house. I want you to do some stuff around the shop. I want you to clean up the yard, clean up the dog pen. I want you to do all these things before I get back. And we're like, my brother and I, yes, sir. We promise we will get these things done for you, right? Dad leaves. Chris and I are like, party time. He's going to be gone for hours and hours and hours. We got so much time. We get to do whatever we want. And we would. I'd be eating stag's chili from the can, you know. I'd be like, just going to town, hot pockets all day. And we would just do whatever because we thought, we got so much time. Dad's not there to keep us accountable. And yet, those moments, there were some moments we thought, okay, he, he probably going to get, he's, he might be getting close. So we need to start getting stuff done, trying to show like we were actually trying to do something. And then he would show up the moment we'd step out the door and we haven't done anything. And he's there. And we're like, oh, no. He's caught us red-handed. And he's like, why is there still poop in the dog pen? Why is the grass still shoulder high? Why are all of these things going on? You didn't do what I told you to do. If we had known when he was coming, then we could have planned it out a little bit better. But we know we were being selfish with what we wanted to do, and we were selfish with our own time because we thought we had so much time. The reason why Jesus isn't telling us exact dates and times is because he knows human nature We'll sit on our hands, we'll twiddle, we'll twiddle our thumbs, we won't get active in the work that he's called us to do until we think, we've got time, we've got time, we've got time. But we don't know what the time is. It could be a moment in the twinkling of an eye, he could come right now. He, he could do it. He's, things are ready and prepared for him to come. Come. And that's not to scare people, but that's to tell the church, look, we have to be busy about the Father's business. We've got to be doing the work that he's called us to do. What did he call us to do? What have we been talking about in chapter 9, 10, 11, 12? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love people as yourself. When are we going to love like God? When are we going to serve people? Not tomorrow, today, because we don't know. We don't know. When he will come back. It could be any moment. So he's saying the purpose behind my words is so that you would be awake and alert. So that you would be reminded that I am coming again. Jesus is coming again, church. He is coming again. See, when it comes to end times, most of us, most most times there are two types of people. There are the ones who think... It's never going to happen. Jesus was just talking about 70 AD, and there is nothing beyond this. We just need to live good lives, be good people, and then when we die, we go to heaven. But there is no end time saying some people don't even believe Jesus is coming again. And there are those people who just don't take it seriously. Or if they, they, they think, oh, yeah, it, it, maybe, but I don't really care. And, you know, they, they pay little to no attention to it, and there's no concern and they go about their lives as normal, living in the comfort and ease of life that we have. So this is a warning that Jesus would give to us, for those who have that mindset, that we should take very seriously. That Jesus is saying, look, it would be good for you to pay attention and stay awake. Because I am coming back again. Be alert. Don't be lulled to sleep by the comforts of this life. Don't be lulled to sleep. Be alert. Be on guard. Be awake. I've called you to do something. You have a purpose and, a, and, and there's something that I've called you to do. But be alert. Be on guard. On the other side, there are those who make the end time prophecy the only Christian doctrine that seems to be important. It's like, look, all we need to know, end times, end time. We've got to have the end times. Do you have the end times? Do you, I don't care. what tr- Trinity? Who cares about the Trinity? End times, end times. And there are people who just, that's all they want to talk about. And it becomes this sideways, uh, over-consumed uh, notion that they're so consumed with it that there has, nothing else matters. They kind of remind me of the, the Thessalonians and when Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians, some of the Thessalonian church, we're so consumed with Jesus' return in a negative way. It's good to be consumed with His return if it causes us to live out an action of faith. But they were so concerned in the negative way that all they wanted to do was sit on the roofs in white robes and wait for His return. They abandoned all responsibility. They abandoned all relational things. They abandoned jobs and everything else. And they're like, none of it matters because Jesus is coming. And Paul writes to them and says, Look, you got it wrong. He tells them in chapter 2, look, there is going to be a man of lawlessness who stands in a place that he shouldn't and defiles it. So be aware of that. But some of them were thinking, did we already miss it? Some of them were thinking it's immediate. We, need to, we just need to be thinking about that. And Paul tells them, no, you got to work. He literally says, if a man does not work, he won't eat. Why? Because some people are saying, it's so important that I wait for Jesus' return. You can feed me. You can go do things and do what you got to do. But I have to be here waiting for Jesus. And sometimes we see people who go to the extreme, and there's sometimes these are at odds, and, and that's not why Jesus told us about it. He told us, be alert, be awake. But he's not saying, obsess about it all, the, all, all day, every day, into a way that causes you to neglect the things I called you to do, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, loving people as yourself, loving your neighbor. How can you do that if you're on your rooftops, dressed in white, saying, come, shh, don't, don't, shh. Wait, did you hear that? I think it, was that a horn or a? Did a car backfire? So he's, he's trying to point out here, look, there can't, you have to have a balance here. I want you to be awake. And to those people, Jesus would say, wake up, but to wake up to the world that's around you. Wake up to the fact that you have children that are near you, that, are lo- that love you. Spend time with them. Wake up to the fact that you have a spouse that I gave you that, that, to love that spouse and care for them. And, be, and Wake up to the fact that you have a job that I've called you to invest in and to be a light in dark places with your coworkers. Wake up to those do- things. Don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. So the, the word is to be a, Be awake. Be awake if you think it's not going to happen because it's going to happen and be alert to the things that are around you if all you think about is this but you have no relation with people. Jesus is wanting us to be awake. Wake up to life. Wake up to the ordinary things that he's blessed you with. Wake up to the things that are right in front of you to enjoy and to invest in. Like I talked about last week, what are we investing in? How are we investing in good things? I know I can't cover everything, that there is about the end times. I don't know if this was enough for you. Maybe you're thinking, you didn't tell me anything, or maybe I told you too much. I I wouldn't be able to cover everything until we go through the entire book of Revelation. Then we can really get into depth. But what I want you to hear is this, that Jesus is coming soon. And this is what he calls us to be. Awake and alert. To not be lulled to sleep. Don't think that Whenever a catastrophe happens, it's the end. We see another earthquake. We see another hurricane. This is, it's all over. We see coronavirus. It's the end of it. He's saying, don't look at every catastrophe and every calamity and think, well, now it doesn't matter. Let's go in a bunker somewhere and just wait it out. He's saying, nope. (laughs) I'm going to speak to you and I'll give you direction. Look for the signs, but be alert. Be on guard. The end will come. Once the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth, Matthew 24 says this, and Mark says it as well, all the nations need to hear the gospel. And this means that you and I have a role to play. Who is going to take the gospel to the nations if not you and I, and and as we support others as they go? So if you want the end to come, preach the gospel. If we want Jesus to return, preach the gospel. It means that I have a role means that you have a role. Maybe you can't go around the world, but you can go across the street. Maybe you can go to the neighbors next door and make sure they know who Jesus is and love them and care for them and be compassionate with them. Maybe you can look at your spouse and love them and be compassionate and care for them. Look at your kids. Say, I have a role to play. I'm going to love you and be compassionate and care for you so that you can see Jesus because Jesus is coming soon. The end will come. Something that I was encouraged to pray growing up is this phrase, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I loved it. I began to pray that, and it began to shift my mindset that Jesus is going to come soon and that I have a responsibility. And I began to pray this Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because when He comes, He's going to restore and He's going to rescue. But I have a part to play in His coming. Am I sharing sharing Jesus with those that I encounter today? Because I almost hear the, the response back to me when I say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's as if Jesus calls out and says, Go to the world. I say, Come quickly. He says, Go. Come quickly. He says, Go. So as we cry out, Jesus, come quickly. Come rescue come restore, come redeem, Lord. Come back for us, your church. He says, church, go and be the light in dark places. Go and tell the world about me. Go and give hope to the hopeless. Go and mend the brokenhearted. Go, and I will come. So as followers of Jesus, you and I have a responsibility before Jesus comes. We are called to go. We aren't called to stay in fear We aren't called to hide away or to go to some uh, secluded place or some bunker underground or run for isolation. He's called us to go, so we go. And for those of you who don't have relationship with Jesus, the end times should be troubling to you because Jesus is coming back for those who have relationship with him, who put their hope and trust in him, who say, you are my Savior, you are my God. And without Him, there is no hope, there is no promise of tomorrow, but with Him, there is life, there is hope, and there is promise found in Jesus. So I want to pray with you, those who are watching right now, those of who don't have a relationship with with Jesus, I want to pray for you first, and for the rest of us uh, who are believers, I want you to be encouraged and emboldened to go into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus for anyone and to anyone who will hear it. So right now, if you, if you are a, someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to make you aware, wake you up, so that you would be alert and know. But the way that happens is by receiving Jesus into your heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to awaken you. We call it being born again. So that you have life in the flesh, but now Jesus wants to give you life in the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit And that's right now for some of you. I want to just pray with you right now. If you'll repeat these words after me, say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came, you died, you were buried, and you rose again for me. You conquered sin and you conquer sin in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, and make me born again. I receive you now. Forgive me and cleanse me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to fill out an eConnect card. There's a link there, or you can give us your information uh, via the links or the, the comment sections below so that we can connect with you. I want to encourage you and help you walk this journey with Jesus. The rest of us who have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pray a prayer of boldness and strength. As you see more and more chaos around you, don't be fearful. Be alert. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. When Jesus comes back, He's not going to find me hiding in a corner. He's going to see me standing strong in the Word. And I want that for you as well. Proclaiming who Jesus is in your life. If you love somebody, you tell others about them. If you love Jesus, you tell them about them. And I just want to pray for you right now that God would give you boldness and strength wherever you're watching right now. So would you stretch your hands towards the screen wherever you're watching, on whatever device you're watching with, and let's pray together. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, supernatural strength and boldness and courage. God, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of the confusion, sickness, calamities, God, stuff that's going on in the world, things that are are just chaotic all around us, God, I pray that we would be bold and strong and courageous, that we would stand firm in the truth and recognize our place in your return. God, would you strengthen your church in this hour? Strengthen us, God by the power of your Holy Spirit, embolden us now. God, we receive it now. We receive it. And I pray, Jesus, that you would strengthen your church, strengthen their resolve, strengthen their determination, strengthen their heart and purpose and passion for you. God, as we see you, draw even closer. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. God, let it be done in this hour. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Church, I love you. I'm so excited for us. Make sure that you join us next week. We jump into Mark chapter 14. It gets good and even better. And so I love you so much. God bless. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you.